Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Redeemed Through His Blood. In this podcast, we discuss hope, healing, and redemption through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm Scott Durfee. Let me introduce my partner in this project, our teacher, David Durfee. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hope you're all having a great week. It's good to have you here, Dave, and uh, be with you as always. Uh, Gang, we're really looking forward to the things that we're going to be talking about today. But before I do, I just want to take care of a couple of things real quickly. First off, I want to just say thank you so much for the correspondence. We've been getting a lot of great emails and texts and from our friends and people that we don't know yet, but our friends because of the podcast, uh, we appreciate all of that. And uh, just encourage you to keep sending those. Uh, we've had, uh, again, just a lot of great response. Our email address is us at gmail.com. us at gmail.com. Uh, and then also we'd like to invite you that as you go to the various podcast dis- distribution points, whether that's Apple or Audible or Spotify, when you're there, if you don't mind lo- liking the uh, podcast, maybe leaving even a review, that's uh, helpful and uh, we appreciate it. So uh, last week we uh, had a great conversation around the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We talked about uh, the blood, the importance of the blood in the atonement of Jesus Christ and in the crucifixion and through the entire process. We talked a lot about that. Uh, And today, as we move into the next step or the next process of the atonement of Jesus Christ, we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to spend some time today talking about the resurrection why it's important, the effects of it, and and how that all kind of plays in. And then we're going to start moving as we uh, begin our next next part of the podcast here. We're going to start moving into the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. In other words, we've spent a lot of time learning now what the events are, what the the things that took place, etc. But now we're going to start learning the application What are the effects? And because of uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ, how can my life be different? So let's get started today. As we do that, uh, we're going to get right into uh, talking about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Dave. So where do we go from here? Well, thank you, Scott. Uh, So last week we spent a lot of time on Gethsemane. And uh, as we've talked about Last week and other times, uh, as a church, we we understand Gethsemane because of the restoration of the gospel uh, better than anyone else. Thank God for the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Christ. We know that Jesus bled from every pore. We know that everything after Gethsemane was intensified because of him bleeding from every pore and the effects of Gethsemane. We know there was an angel there to strengthen him. And then everything else that happened between then and the cross would have been, again, worse. Uh, I think it was your words on the podcast last week that said exponentially worse because of what happened in Gethsemane. Then he goes to the cross, and all of Gethsemane reoccurs. We, I don't think we read the quotes, but there are several quotes from the brethren, Elder Talmage and Jesus the Christ, Elder McConkie in his Mortal Messiah series, even our dear President Nelson has, has taught that, uh, that uh, Gethsemane reoccurred and was intensified on the cross. And this time he was all alone from 12 noon until 3 p.m. And there's no angel there to strengthen him. And it's dark and 
Jesus suffers complete spiritual death and darkness without dying, suffering through it. Uh, surely would have, have killed anyone else, but Jesus needed to suffer all of it. The quote that I wanted to uh, share last week, which we didn't have time to, I want to just uh, refer to this morning. It's a, one of my favorite quotes on the Atonement of Jesus Christ from the Infinite, the book called The Infinite Atonement by Elder uh, Ted Callister. And uh, in this quote, he describes the effects of being a God that Jesus Christ even though he was a god, he didn't use his godhood to take away from the pain, the suffering of the atonement. In fact, Elder Callister wrote, quote, The Savior submitted to the inhumanity of man. His body longed for sleep. He hungered. He felt the pains of sickness. He was in all respects subjected to every mortal failing experienced by the human family. We've tried to talk about that. And I, I think not only family, but abuse and torment and persecution and all of that. Not once did he raise the shield of godhood in order to soften the blows. Not once did he don the bulletproof vest of divinity. That he also had godly powers did not make his suffering any less excruciating any less poignant, or any less real. To the contrary, it is for this very reason that his suffering was more, not less, than his mortal counterparts could experience. He took upon him infinite suffering, but chose to defend with only mortal faculties, with but one exception. His godhood was summoned to hold off unconsciousness and death, the twin relief mechanisms of man that would otherwise overpower a mere mortal when he reached his threshold of pain for the savior however there would for the savior however there would be no such relief his divinity would be called upon not to immunize him from pain but to enlarge the receptacle that would hold it. He simply brought a larger cup to hold the bitter drink. End quote. That's Elder Tad Callister in the Infinite Atonement, page 119. So I, I just, um, I think about that often, uh, Scott. I think uh, when I think of the Atonement of Jesus Christ, I think it's too easy for maybe uh, all of us to think that, well, Jesus could do it, Jesus could handle it because he was a God, because he was a son of God, uh, because the Father was his only begotten son. And we think about uh, the powers that he had, but he never, he only used his, his power, Scott, and his Godhood to be able to withstand the suffering, to endure the suffering, Never did he use it to lessen it or make it less painful or more easy. So last night at uh, very early in the morning, I get a phone call. And there's a, a young man on the other end of the phone 
struggling. And when I say struggling, I mean really struggling uh, with some ideologies that just are not anything like our Heavenly Father's ideologies at all. And it's interesting how that, you know, when we talk about all that the Savior went through, all that Jesus went through as he went through the garden, and it wasn't just the garden. I mean, it was prior to that. We talked all about this, the scourging, the trial, the exhaustion from the loss of blood, etc., that was happening even previous to all of that. And we think about, man, my life is hard sometimes. And, and that was the case, and we all feel this. You know, that was the case with this young man last night when he's calling me and telling me, man, my life is just hard, and you just don't understand. And, I, and, and it's true. There's so much of life that we don't understand for each other. But, and, and this is where the solace and the comfort, I think, comes, Dave. When we talk about these types of things, when we know that he suffered all things to the depth to which we can't even comprehend. In other words, our suffering, as brutal as it may be, we still don't begin to comprehend what he went through. Why did he go through that? He went through that so that I and you and all of us can have a better experience as he suckers us. In other words, the reason he went through that is so that he can take what we're going through and we can really have somebody to turn that to as we go through our lives. And I think that as we do that and gain a deeper appreciation and a deeper love as we come to know him there, and you said this last week, you know, when Jesus says, come to me, when he says, come unto me, he's inviting us to go to the garden, to the cross, to the resurrection, to all of those things. That's where he's inviting us to come. So as we go through this, uh, I, I hope that we have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to feel wherein our Heavenly Father is inviting us to go or where Jesus is inviting us to go to be with him as he suckers us there. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. The brethren have, have taught us over and over again, I read it again this morning, that Jesus carried out this redemption and the atonement in order to do the will of his Father, we know that, when he prayed, if there be any other way, nevertheless, he told his Father in prayer, not my will, but thine be done. So we know that there were two motivating forces in his life. One was his love for the Father, first and foremost to do the will of his Father. And this was all foreordained. He knew this was the center of the plan of redemption, was his atoning act or sacrifice to pay for our sins, to suffer for all of the effects of the fall and overcome the effects of the fall. And second, he did it because he loved us, because he loves us. Uh, all of God's children, regardless of religion, regardless of church, regardless of choices or decisions or circumstances, and he did it because of love. I, I, we've read this once before, but again, this is one of my favorite scriptures in all the standard works, Second Nephi 26:24, speaking of Christ, it's, it, Nephi wrote, he doeth not anything, save it be for the benefit of the world, for he loveth the world, 
even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore he commandeth none that they should not partake of his salvation. Second uh, Nephi twenty six twenty four. So Jesus, after suffering Gethsemane and on, again on the cross, three hours in Gethsemane, three hours on the cross, and it's like time stopped in that suffering, to be able to take upon him all of the pains, all of the sicknesses, all of the sins all the frailties, all of the inequities of mankind. He died. He, at 3 p.m. on Friday of that atoning week, he said, it is finished. And it, I believe, is all of the pain, all of the suffering, for all of the pain and all the suffering of mankind. And then he it's recorded that he yielded up the ghost, and he died. It was necessary that he die. And um, they had to hurry and, uh, and bury him before the Sabbath began at sundown on Friday. Their, their Sabbath was from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, the seventh day being the day of rest uh, for, the, for the Jews. And... Uh, so they hurried and buried him in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and uh, Jesus uh, was protected there by a stone that was rolled in place. The Romans and the Jews wanted to make sure that nobody stole his body and claimed that he was living again, so they put this huge stone and guards to guard the tomb, and uh, he lay in that tomb for... Uh, a day and a half, really. Uh, some, not three full days. He's dead on Friday. He's dead all day on Saturday in the spirit world. We know what he did there was uh, organizing the spirits uh, in the spirit world and uh, ministers to go preach the gospel to the spirits in prison. And uh, you can read about that in Doctrine and Covenants, section 138, the vision of the redemption of the dead by given uh, to Joseph the prophet and president of the church, Joseph F. Smith. And then early Sunday morning, and I think it must have been very early near sunrise, that uh, Jesus was resurrected. So I, he was probably only in that, uh, that tomb for some 40 hours. And Mary, of course, in the garden, other women come to anoint and and Mary goes to the garden early and and uh, stays behind while the other women leave. And there in the garden, weeping, seeing the tomb is empty, she weeps. And uh, the master comes, and she believes it's the gardener. And she asks, where have they laid him, or where have they taken him? And uh, Jesus uh, just says, Mary. And when he says Mary, not just the name, but how he says it, she recognizes that it is the the Christ, and it's Jesus speaking, and she looks up through her tears, and um, it's recorded in the scriptures in John that she, it says uh, that she went to touch him. I want to read this in John chapter 20. I always love reading John chapter 20 on Easter morning. 
It's the ultimate, I think, chapter on the resurrection. And in John chapter 20, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou, whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus, is verse 17 of John 20, Jesus saith unto her, this is what's recorded in the King James Version, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. I've heard a lot of strange ideas about what that means and why she couldn't touch him. I've, in gospel doctrine classes and in talks that I've heard over the years in the church, I've heard a lot of strange ideas why she couldn't touch him or that it was maybe it would contaminate him or something and she couldn't he couldn't go to the father after some human had touched him or i've heard so many strange ideas yeah. about that yeah but in the joseph smith translation scott it reads jesus saith unto her uh, mary hold me not i love that that she embraced him that she's holding him, and they're embracing, and he says, Mary, I, I got to go. I, got, I haven't even been to my father yet. And uh, he, he then ascends to his father, and she runs to tell the other, the other apostles. We have lots of witnesses, eyewitnesses, uh, those who touched him, those who felt him, he invited. Uh, he appeared to the to the ten. Thomas isn't there, and Judas has committed suicide. So he appears to ten later that evening, and uh, and then a week later he appears to the eleven. Thomas is now present, and we have lots of witnesses. And he said, "Come and come and feel." And and do you have anything to eat? And they witnessed him eating. They knew that this was a physical resurrection that he was not a spirit. He said, a, sp uh, a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. That was his testimony to the apostles. They saw it. They felt it. He, he spent time with them. He appeared uh, to two on the road to Emmaus as a resurrected being. He appeared to 500 brethren at once. Paul records. He appears to Paul and we have a special account of his appearance to 2,500 souls in the Americas, somewhere in the Americas, a place called Bountiful, near the temple, and, they, and he invites them, come and, and feel, and put, thrust your hand into my side and feel the prints of the nails in my hands and my feet. Third Nephi chapter 11, verse 15 and they, one by one, they go and they feel. We have so many thousands of eyewitnesses who not only saw him, but they felt him, Scott, physical resurrection. 
So the uh, the thing that impresses me, Dave, about this physical resurrection, and and I just want to talk real quick about the the one by one as he was among the what we call the Nephites there in the, you know the Americas when he came here uh, to wherever that was, but as they came one by one to the resurrected Lord, that's what we do. We go one by one to the resurrected, to, to he who paid all for all that we, that, all that we deal with. Now, and, and that brings me to another point uh, in terms of this resurrection. For example, when we're resurrected, when Christ was resurrected, and when, you know, surely, and we'll talk about this, but surely as we all will be also resurrected because of that, uh, one of the unconditional components to the atonement is uh, unconditional. Everybody will be resurrected and return to their father. Well, as we are resurrected, what that means is that everything will be made perfect. And so in this life, Dave, we have so much that it takes place inside of us because our bodies are imperfect. We have uh, chemical imbalances. We may have some sort of organic depression or anxiety or you know those types of things that are because our bodies are not perfect. And when I say our bodies, there's so much of our mental state that's attached to the physical body. The physicality of the body can have a huge and sometimes maybe even be the predominant driving force in some of our things that are not right. Whether that's, again, depression, whether that's uh, some sort of other mental illness that's maybe even uh, more complex. Uh, it can be the, the things like autism. It can be all of these things that anything that's not perfect in our brain or in our body. And, and in our body, you know, I could be talking about physical diseases, physical handicaps, things that uh, we and our friends have been born with that are no choice of our own that are just not right. Well, those things too, because of discouragement, because of uh, a lack of separation, a lack of not feeling included in society, those kinds of things can also feel like that there's a separation between us and our Heavenly Father, or at least the spirit of our Heavenly Father, as we focus and put the wrong type of or too much focus on those types of things. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ heals all that for us as well. The um, suffering for all the pains and sicknesses, and we've, and we've said frailties and tendencies and inequities and all of the imbalances of life, and the effects of those were covered in Gethsemane and on the cross. And you're right, the resurrection now restores all the souls of mankind to this perfect balance of spirit, of mind, of body. And they're all of the weaknesses that were given to us by the Lord, right? Right, yeah. Because of the fall. Yeah. Ether, 12.27. I give unto men weakness because of the fall. Uh, all of those are overcome in the resurrection, and we are restored to a perfect body, mind, united with spirit. So you think about that, Scott, and the effect that that will have on us, and how all of the, if we could all be born with the... Um, perfect body, no chemical imbalances, no inappropriate tendencies, frailties, all of those things. 
what a difference it would uh, it would make in our choices and decisions and in our ability really to to worship the Father and the Son and to feel the Holy Ghost and to feel the love of God. That will be a great day. It's important that we understand that there is a that there's an order to the resurrection. And all of us will be resurrected. This is testified of in the in the Bible, even though not all Christians believe in a universal resurrection as we do. We believe it's taught clearly by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, when he says, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We believe that's alluding to spiritual and physical. Well, Dave, even when he talks about, you know, and this is a, a doctrine that's unique to us as well, is the doctrine of the uh, um, baptism for the dead. But even in, the, in, you know, in the same chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 and 29, he says, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? And so it's not that that, that that is not necessarily, it is about baptism for the dead, but it's also, and more importantly, it's about the resurrection. If the right. de- in, in other words, Paul's saying, guys, if, if, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then why are you already doing what you're doing? Right. He uses baptism for the dead, which apparently the early Christians conducted. They were as, doing it then. As evidence of a universal resurrection. Correct. And it's clearly taught in the Book of Mormon over and over again by, by the prophets and writers of the Book of Mormon. So we believe in this universal resurrection, but it, not everyone will be resurrected at once. There has already been a resurrection. We're still in the first resurrection. Jesus Christ was the first to be resurrected, but it's such an interesting scripture, and so many don't know quite what to do. I've read so many commentaries on this. Uh, On Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 and 53. And the graves were opened. This is talking about the resurrection of Matthew in the Bible. 27, 52 and 53. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Well, so there have been lots of individuals resurrected already that we don't know about. But what we do know, as taught by Latter-day prophets, is that there is an order to the resurrection, and all those who lived a celestial life have been resurrected already, uh, who lived before Christ. All of those who lived a celestial life before Christ were resurrected shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know, for example, in Doctrine and Covenants, again, section 132, that Adam is resurrected, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and and we assume all of the prophets and their families who lived a celestial life were resurrected at the time shortly after the time that Jesus was resurrected. And all those who live a celestial life will be resurrected first, either between now and the second coming of Jesus Christ or at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Those who live a celestial life are resurrected before anyone who lives a terrestrial life is resurrected. You can read the qualifications for who qualifies for a celestial glory and those who qualify for terrestrial or telestial in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 76. Then, 
at the second coming, after all of those who have lived a celestial life are resurrected, those who have lived a terrestrial life, honorable men and women and those who have lived a good life, uh, uh, who are honest, will be resurrected uh, during the second coming. And after all of those who have lived a terrestrial life are resurrected, then the resurrection for the telestial, those who have lived the telestial law, uh, which is defined as those who have committed some pretty serious sins, uh, those who are habitual liars, uh, deceivers, uh, adulterers, robbers, murderers, they'll be resurrected after the second coming. And after all of those who have lived a telestial life are resurrected, then the final, or we could say almost uh, fourth resurrection, are those who have denied the Christ, who have committed the sin, the unpardonable sin, and uh, those who are going to go to outer darkness and not enjoy any glory. Those who have sinned against the light. Yeah, you know, I I uh, think that as we talk about that, you know, I think that there's been points in my life, because I've known this, I know about the different resurrections, the different, you know, the four different resurrections, the timing of those. And I think there's probably a lot of our listeners that as they're, as we're listening to this, we think, oh my goodness, the celestial, I hear that word celestial, and I think I'm not alone when I think I am far from celestial, because when we think of celestial, we think of perfection. When I think of celestial, and you know, I, I appreciate it if you'll indulge me a personal here, but when I think of celestial, I think of my dad referring to his mom, your mom, as my celestial mother. I, and I think there's nothing about me that's celestial, really. But then I go back to episodes two through nine. <laughs> <laughs> that we've been talking about here on these podcasts. What I want us all to realize, what I want our listeners to realize, what I want my kids, my family, and us to remember and realize is that when we talk about celestial, the key to that is putting on the atonement. The key to putting on the atonement of Jesus Christ is to court the Spirit. We've talked about how the administration of the atonement happens, uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ, how that happens through the administration of the Spirit in our lives. If I'm working to have the Spirit in my life, if I'm repenting daily, if I'm sitting at the uh, the sacrament, as I'm sitting in sacrament meeting last Sunday, and I'm contemplating and considering the things in my life that separate me from Him, that keep the Spirit from being in full force in my life, and I make those adjustments and I turn from them, and as I turn to the light, even Jesus Christ himself, and as I turn there, that's repentance. If I'm doing that, I'm living a celestial life. Striving. Exactly. As long as we are striving, as long as we are repenting, as long as we are faithfully seeking to follow Jesus Christ, as imperfect as we are, as sinful as we may be, uh, we are celestial material because we have put on Christ, because through Christ and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost as he administers uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life, uh, that's what it takes to be worthy enough to 
qualify for that first first resurrection. Well, we, we worry about so much, I think, Dave, uh, you know, the scripture that we're saved by grace after all we can do. And I just think sometimes we think, well, there's just not enough I can do in me to do that. Well, if we, if we go to Alma 34, and I'm not going to do that here, but if we were to go to Alma 34 and take that entire chapter into consideration, that is our answer of all we can do. It's about daily repentance. Yeah. It's all about just repentance. Yeah, all we can do is put on the atonement of Jesus Christ, and we are saved by grace. So, again, if you want to look at the qualifications in order to know uh, if we were to die tomorrow, where we might come forth in the morning of the resurrection. In fact, there are there are really two resurrections, Scott. Yeah. There, there is a first resurrection, a morning and an evening. The morning is all of those who have lived a celestial life, and the evening is all of those who have lived a terrestrial life. That's the first resurrection, and that takes place from now until the second coming and through the second coming. That is the first resurrection. And I think so many patriarchal blessings, I know several patriarchal blessings, most patriarchal blessings that I gave, uh, promised individuals that they would come forth in the morning of the first resurrection, which means they will be resurrected with celestial beings. That's the celestial order of the resurrection. And those who come forth in the evening of the first resurrection will be terrestrial beings. And then the second resurrection is the resurrection for those who are wicked, which include those who go to the celestial kingdom of glory and those who who go to outer darkness. I, I think it's inspiring to me that our God, our Heavenly Father, is not only a God of love, that's how we all like to think of him, but he is also a God of laws, and that even this resurrection, it's not. There's nothing about it that will be chaotic. There's nothing about it that will be messy. There's nothing about it that will be all at once. It 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 happens in a very organized order, and uh, we we know also that it is a priesthood ordinance taught by President Kimball, quoting Brigham Young that it will be done in an orderly way by priesthood uh, through that order, through the patriarchal order of the priesthood. And uh, so we, have, we all have hope in, the, in, the, in faith in the resurrection of mankind and such an important part of the atonement. So maybe just in winding up the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ, Scott, uh, there had to be a sinless life. He had to experience all the pains, I think, and sicknesses of mortality, which he did without ever sinning, all of the temptations of mortality without ever yielding or giving heed. He had to suffer Gethsemane, where he bled every pore. He had to suffer on the cross. Gethsemane intensified. had to suffer everything in between Gethsemane and the cross. And uh, then, and then forth his death and and resurrection. Those four things: sinless life, Gethsemane, the cross, and resurrection, are what we call the atonement of Jesus Christ. And maybe just one more thing on the resurrection. Uh, 
it's inspiring to me, Scott, that we have living prophets since the prophet Joseph Smith who have been living eyewitnesses of the resurrection. We know that there are two major pillars in order to be, be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of those is to be a witness, a sure witness, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, an experience too sacred for apostles to speak. I don't know how many have seen him, or if they've all seen him, or if they haven't. I don't know that that's, that's, that's not necessarily critical. Some have, maybe some haven't, but they are sure witnesses. They have a more sure witness of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of us have heard those over the years. I never forget hearing President Kimball bear his testimony of that in a priesthood uh, session of General Conference many years ago, and there, there have been many others. And second, they need to be a sure witness of Jesus Christ and his redemptive, redeeming power. Those are according uh, to a talk given by uh, Elder Dennis Neunschwander many years ago, are the two pillars that qualify one for uh, to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful to know that we have living apostles and prophets. Uh, Elder Neuenschwander was, of course, referring to the quotes by Joseph Smith that taught that uh, apostles were sure witnesses of the uh, atonement of Jesus Christ, including, including his resurrection. So uh, maybe... We can move on and yeah, begin I, to speak about some of the effects, or, or maybe, Scott, even before we do that, why did Jesus do it? Yeah. Why did he carry out the atonement of Jesus Christ? We talked about doing the will of the Father and his love, but what gave him power to do this? And President Nelson taught that the power that he drew from was joy that joy is a principle of power and that he had this joy that gave him power, that he did it for the joy. And he quotes Hebrews 12, verse 2, and just winding up the atonement of Jesus Christ, I've been so grateful for President Nelson's teaching us this. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, Scott, do you want to read that? Yeah, I've got it right here. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, and there it is right there, Dave, who yeah. for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he's saying that it was for the joy that he was able to endure the cross, that the joy Christ had in his mind and heart in doing the will of the Father and in saving the Father's children, in, in saving the world for the benefit of the world, this joy was what gave Christ the power and the purpose necessary in order to endure all of this i think a mother may have uh, 
pictures to go with these words. <laughs> a mother goes through pain like you and I should never even pretend. Never comes closer to dying. Never. Than in giving birth. And we can never pretend as men uh, to comprehend what that is. And we might not even be able to, Dave, comprehend the joy that a mother has. I mean, we can, we can comprehend the joy a dad has. I'm not sure that it's exactly equal. I think that the joy a mother has because of the pain that she felt is, in, is in, incomparable. And, and, and I think it's just, it's a weak comparison, sure. Yeah. But it's a comparison nonetheless to what Jesus might have felt. That joy certainly doesn't lessen the pain, but it gives them the endurance to be able to withstand it, to go through it, to be able to uh, have the have the strength necessary to finish it yeah and I th- I think that's an interesting insight President Nelson has has given us the past few years is uh, this the the importance of this scripture in in Hebrews so with that maybe th- we should begin to speak about the effects of the atonement if we have time yeah we do uh, we've got uh, several minutes left here that we will move into the effects of the atonement and as we do i think that it's important that uh, we emphasize uh, and start to begin to really feel gratitude in our hearts for the things that we've talked about so far mm-hmm. everything that we've talked about so far should really draw us to a state of gratitude for uh, a a savior, a loving brother, a loving father who was perfect and went through the most unbearable, unfathomable suffering and pain <laughs> so that he could have joy. Uh, I, I, gosh, you know, uh, that kind of that kind of feeling just builds within me, and I think it does and should within all of us, a gratitude that is maybe unexpressible by human voice. Because, And I think it's that gratitude that summons and invites the Spirit that we've talked about. And as it summons and invites the Spirit, we put that Spirit on, we begin to put on the atonement of Jesus Christ, we feel its effects. And as we are aware of doing that, now we can intentionally start to place the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ into various points of our lives, in various components and compartments and areas in our lives. We can direct and intend for those blessings to bless us and to heal us in those areas. So as we move into that, Dave, where should we start when we talk about the effects? Well, uh, thank you so much for your insight on the feeling the gratitude for that, because I believe Gratitude for the atonement of Jesus Christ is what gives us. If, if, if joy gave Jesus the power to endure the cross, what gives us power to live the gospel is gratitude for his suffering on right. the cross. Yeah. I, gratitude is, is a, not only a power, but it is also a power of salvation and redemption. And I heard someone years ago, Scott, I, I'll tell the story without using any names, but uh, I was serving at the Missionary Training Center as a branch president. We had a rash of disobedience and lots of, uh, unfortunately, well, lots is all relative. There were some missionaries who, who were having to be sent home. And it was, uh, it was kind of a hard time. And I, I remember 
us talking about that as a branch presidents in a meeting and and the uh, MTC president is uh, having some concerns about that and wanting to, to know uh, what's the difference. And he came to this uh, impression that the difference between uh, those who stayed and were really uh, faithful, great missionaries, and those who went home was obedience. Amen, right? Amen. That's exactly right. But what allowed missionaries, what gave them the power to be obedient what was the difference between those who were obedient and not obedient? And he came to the conclusion that it was desire. Desire. The desire to be obedient. The desire to follow the, keep the commandments and even the rules of the, of the missions. And then he began to, to pray and to think, how can I change one's desire? How does one get desire? And that became his prayer for months. And one night, in fact, if I remember, it was on Christmas Eve, and uh, in the middle of the night, he was awakened in, uh, from his sleep, and he, he heard like a voice say in his mind, gratitude is the beginning of desire. Gratitude is the beginning of desire. And he got up and he wrote this down, and as he sat on the edge of his bed, he thought, oh, gratitude. So how do I give them gratitude? <laughs> and as he's sitting there asking now a new question, instead of asking how do I give them desire, now he finds out it's gratitude. How do I give them gratitude? He was filled with a vision of the redemption and the atonement, the suffering of Jesus Christ. And I remember that after that, we all began to change our teaching and to begin to focus more on the atonement of Jesus Christ and in giving our missionaries gratitude, trying to fill their minds and hearts with an understanding and a gratitude for the atonement of Jesus Christ, and, and I witnessed there at the Missionary Training Center, and I have witnessed this throughout my life, Scott, my personal life and my life as a parent, that if, if children, individuals, those we love, will feel gratitude, if they can come to an understanding of and feel gratitude for the atonement of Jesus Christ, they will have the desire to be obedient, which is the bottom line, to be an obedient follower. And here's just a few quotes to back that up. This is from Preach My Gospel, page two, one of my favorite quotes from Preach My Gospel. As your understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ grows, your desire to share, and we might, in place of the word share, put live, live, so let me read it with, with that change. Sure. As your understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ grows, your desire to live the gospel will increase. Listen to this quote by Elder Richard G. Scott years ago in conference in 2006. Pondering the grandeur of the atonement provokes the most profound feeling of awe, immense gratitude, and deep humility. 
those impressions can provide you with powerful motivation to keep his commandments and consistently repent of errors for greater peace and happiness. And what I have found, Scott, is that if individuals, myself included, when we feel like, I just don't have the desire, I just don't have the desire to keep the commandments. I'm just not feeling the desire to go to church. Yeah. I'm just not feeling the desire. I'm yeah. not into it. Yeah. My experience is my gratitude is low. My gratitude or my understanding and appreciation for the atonement of Jesus Christ is waning. And if I can make that shift and begin to focus on the atonement of Jesus Christ increase my understanding, uh, my gratitude begins to grow, and as my gratitude grows, my desires change and are increased. How do we get gratitude? Where does that gratitude come from, right? In the very beginning of our endeavor here, I think two, three, four, and probably in every single episode that we've talked about, we have talked about how important it is to get to know him. This is life eternal, to know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's, that's life eternal, And if that's life eternal and we come to know him, our gratitude will follow. It won't be effort on our part to have gratitude. We will not at some point be able to contain the gratitude within our hearts as they burst with love because of what he did. Now, how do we get that? We got to go there. When he said, come to me, He's inviting us to come to the garden with him, to see the press, to experience what Jesus the Christ went through for us as he partook of the bitter cup. He invites us to go to the cross to understand the five nails that were driven in his hands and in his feet, to understand the loss of blood and that it was only because of him through his own will that he gave up the ghost, to understand that he went through a spiritual death on the cross that none of us will ever be able to comprehend, as his own father had to withdraw and and move away. And we talked about how the rocks broke You know, we talked about how the earthquake shook and the rocks broke, but the hearts of men still struggled to break (laughs) because we choose sometimes not to understand. So how do I build gratitude? How do I build gratitude for what happened for him, for all of this is, and you said it a couple of weeks ago, Dave, you said the way we do this is we study it, we learn it, we spend that time with him. Remember those that have gone before us that we knew, my grandpas, your uh, whoever that have gone on before, we know them because we spent time with them. I love you bringing up the how here. How can we feel gratitude? It's one thing to know that gratitude is the beginning of the desire, but maybe the more important uh, understanding and discussion is how can we get that gratitude? And you've made some great points, is getting to know him, to study him. Learn of me, he, he's invited us over yeah. and over again. Yeah. But, but Scott, uh, there's only really one way to really come to this level of gratitude for the atonement of Jesus Christ that leads to desire, which then leads to obedience. And that is through deep repentance. We can't fully know him. 
we cannot fully appreciate or have sufficient gratitude for his atoning sacrifice unless we apply it in our life and access its power. And unless we understand our role, the role that each of us have played that caused his suffering, when we begin to understand that we caused it and what he was willing to suffer for us because of his love for us, and as gratitude then begins to fill our hearts, we will repent. And as we repent and we receive maybe this sweetest, greatest gift of all, forgiveness and redemption, we will be filled with gratitude. And we will not be able to contain within our mortal beings the love and joy that comes, and we will be caught up, and we will be brought to him in that morning of the first resurrection, free from the pains of our mortal bodies, free from the confusion of our mixed-up chemical minds, free from the, the distractions of, uh, of the world that has been put before us by the enemy and all other things. And for that, I'm definitely grateful. And, and as I sat again uh, at the sacrament table this week, this past Sunday, and c- contemplated these things that we're talking about today and that we talk about each week in this podcast, as I contemplated those things, my heart was drawn more fully and, and with a deeper gratitude to the point of tears that I am just so grateful that he who was perfect, who didn't need to do what he did in order for his own life to be great, he did it anyway. He did it for me. He did it for you. He did it for every single one of our brothers and sisters so that healing is within our grasp that we can have his spirit in our life and thereby joy and happiness. Thank you, Scott. I'm not a special witness. Um but I'm a witness, and I know that the tomb is empty. I know that. I know that Jesus lives. It's an amazing thought, if you really think about this, that a man died, and he came forth from the grave. The stone was rolled away. He took time to I don't know if it was him or the angels, took time to fold the burial clothing, but I think that's such a sweet thing that's recorded in John chapter 20, that it's folded where the Savior had laid, this burial clothing that they buried him in. And that he walked out, that he lives. He is a living, physical flesh and bone, immortal being, a God, that we, because of his resurrection, will come forth out of the grave that some already have, many, it says, many went forth into the city, that there has been a resurrection, the resurrection continues, We know of some individuals who have been resurrected since that first resurrection began when Jesus and many in Jerusalem were resurrected. 
We know that uh, Peter has been resurrected. We know that James has been resurrected. They appeared to Joseph Smith and laid their physical hands on his head. We know that Moroni has been resurrected. There, the resurrection is ongoing, and I know it will continue until every person who, no matter of how they choose to live their life, every person born in this world will be resurrection, and the resurrection and the work of Christ will not be finished and until that happens. I, I know that's true. Jesus lives, and we will live again. I know I will see my mother, my celestial mother and my celestial father. I know that I will see children. We'll talk about this sometimes, Scott, the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ and how my sweetheart and I look forward to raising children in the millennium. I know that all those who have died will come forth in the resurrection and that we will become immortal beings and go to the place that we have chosen to go based upon our level of gratitude, our level of desire, and our level of obedience will determine where we spend the rest of our our eternity as immortals. And in a war-torn and filthy world, there's no greater news, no greater hope than what you have just expressed. Thank you so much for doing that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute joy for both of us to be here and talk about things that mean, there's just nothing more. That there's just nothing out there that means more to Brother David Durfee and myself than the atonement of Jesus Christ, the effects that it has on our lives and in the lives of those we love. Our invitation to you, and I hope you take this seriously, our invitation to you this week is as you compare as you go through this week and as you prepare for those of you who do to partake of the sacrament, the Lord's Supper on Sunday, and for those of you who don't, this exercise is still important and can still be very impactful. But as you do prepare for that, be thinking about how has the atonement of Jesus Christ and how will the resurrection and of Jesus Christ, how will that and does that affect me and how can that bring joy and gratitude into my life? Another great podcast. Thank you so much for all of you for being with us. Uh, As always, we want to ensure that uh, once again, uh, you hear our invitation to come unto him, to go to the garden, to go to the cross, to go to the tomb, and all other ways come to know him so that our gratitude can be adequate for him. Our email is heredeemsus at gmail.com. Please share with us any experiences, any thoughts, any questions, and certainly any suggestions that you may have. We want to say uh, thanks to all of you for joining us. encourage you to share this with your friends. Once again, like us on the uh, various outlets and maybe even leave a review for that. We would be indeed grateful. Until we meet again, God bless you, and uh, we will see you all next week. Until then, have a great week, and remember that he loves you.